Well, I just want us to take a moment, and I want us to look behind us. Um, and I, the backdrop that's behind us is obviously a beautiful backdrop. Um, we've had our, our devotional each evening, and we've been blessed to hear what John has and, and how God has put uh, God his word uh, in, in John's heart and, and bringing that to us. And so as you take a moment, I want you to just look past me into the backdrop. And so for those that are here, you can see clearly kind of past the ridge and what is beyond. But what I can share for you is that we can see that down the ridge, there is a valley. And then that valley, it opens up. There's a, a clearing that begins that has trees around it. Now, I can think of this that as a much younger man, um, I would have loved to run down this hill and toward that wilderness. Uh, it's not what I want to do today, um, nor do I claim to have any ability to do so um, today. But for me, as I look at this, this is the place, this is a, a place for me where uh, I found calm and peace. And for much of my life, backpacking was a place that I would go to get away from the things of the world and be able to just go out and to actually spend time with the Lord and spend time with uh, brothers and sisters in Christ and be able to share and fellowship together. And that was a passion that I, I loved. However, as you think about this, this freedom in this vast wilderness, this, the ease at which if you have no direction and you go into the wilderness, as soon as the light is removed and the darkness comes over, this is no longer a beautiful, vast wilderness, but rather it becomes a dark, kind of frustrating, uh, even scary experience. In fact, depending on how lost you become, it might even become an experience which threatens your life. And so as night grows dark, without any kind of visual reference finding your way out becomes an act of patience. You have to trust what you know to be true rather than what you feel in the moment in order to survive. Things that cause you to stop rather than to move forward, right? There are times in our own lives where we get kind of scared at what's happening and all we want to do is press forward, press forward, press forward, when actually what the best thing to do in the wilderness is to stop to regroup, to trust what you know that at nighttime it's best to, to not keep moving, but to stop where you're at, to t take stock of what's happening. And if it's cold outside, if you're with somebody, to, to huddle up with them. Well, the truth is many of us have gone through wilderness experiences. And we've been walking through John 8, but I thought that this would be a, a time tonight, whereas we've been, gone through John 8 and we've been looking at John 8, that tonight we would actually, because of this backdrop, we would talk about experiencing God's freedom in the wilderness. That when we have wilderness experiences, how do we actually experience his freedom? So maybe you're new in faith to Christ and you've experienced his forgiveness, but then felt listless, not knowing how to move forward next. Or maybe you know the truth of Christ, but the trials of life have left you with a little energy and fight in pursuing Christ. Or you've experienced with intimacy with God in the past, but right now his voice and his presence seem 
like it's in a far-off distant land. Or maybe the mentioning of closeness with God is simply a new idea, and you have no idea what to do. The truth is, each of us have gone through a wilderness experience where God's voice does not seem as clear, where he may seem distant, where our own intimacy with God seems far off. Or maybe we just don't know what God has for us next. We know we're in the wilderness. We know that God is with us, but we have no idea where he's pointing us and taking us. And I think that's often the place of the wilderness is that we know that God is near, but we don't know what God is doing next and even why he's taking us to where he's going. So whatever it may be, those who have placed their faith in Christ have all likely experienced seasons of wilderness. And the truth is, we desire to experience the blessing of Christ, but in those wilderness experiences, it can feel as if God is far away. Well, tonight with our backdrop as the reminder, as you look at the backdrop, I want us to focus on Christ's freedom in the wilderness. That that vast wilderness that we look at is a reminder that God allows us to go through wilderness experiences so that we know and grow in who he actually is. A father that can be trusted and that there's freedom So, if you would, uh, let's go ahead, and for those that are here, let's go ahead and stand together as we read this passage. It's out of Numbers chapter 9. And for some, it's a story that you might be familiar with. Others, you might be hearing it for the first time. But Numbers 9, verses 15 through 23, and this is what it says. It says, On the day that the tabernacle was set up, the cloud covered the tabernacle, the tent of testimony, and at evening it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning. So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. And whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, and after that the people of Israel set out, and in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. At the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord they camped. As long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in the camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept the charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle, and according to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. And sometimes the cloud remained from evening until morning. And when the cloud lifted in the morning, they set out. Or if it continued for a day and a night, when the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether it was two days or a month or a longer time that the cloud continued over the tabernacle, abiding there, the people of Israel remained in camp and did not set out. But when it lifted, they set out. At the command of the Lord, they camped, and at the command of the Lord, they set out. They kept the charge of the Lord at the command of the Lord by Moses. The word of God, we may be seated. central to this passage is the idea that freedom in the wilderness is not found in the ways of man but in seeking the glory and presence of God freedom in the wilderness is not found in the ways of man but in the seeking in seeking the glory and presence of God 
Freedom is actually found in the glory and presence of God. So this vast wilderness that in the moment looks like it's freedom, and then when you're in it, depending on the time of day, looks actually like it's a prison, freedom actually comes not by us trying to figure our way out of it, but it comes through the glory and presence of God. When we seek to honor God, when we seek His glory rather than our own glory, when we seek His presence rather than our own presence or others' presence, it's the glory of God. Now, according to Numbers 9-1, the Israelites had been set free from Egypt and in the wilderness for a little over two years when in verse 15 we're told now on the day that the tabernacle was set up the cloud covered the tabernacle the tent of testimony and at evening it was over the tabernacle like the appearance of fire until morning so get, let me give you a picture here I just want you to think about this for a second the Israelites have just been freed from Egypt two years earlier so they've been in bondage the entirety of of these these hundreds of years in in, is, in Israel's been in Egypt. Now Moses comes and he frees them out. Now think about this for a second. Ever been with somebody who takes you on a walk and you're like, where are we going? And as they take you there, they're always like, ah, it's like another, it's another half a mile. And you're like, I've already walked a half a mile and I've heard it 30 times. This is not a half a mile, right? You're like, we've walked three miles already and you're still telling me a half mile away. Now how many of you we're driving up today, honestly, kids, or I mean, driving up on, on Thursday, and asked your parents, how far is it? Anybody? Okay. Anybody ask how much longer? Yeah? So the Israelites are in the wilderness. Now imagine this. You're going to go on a two-year card ride, but your parents aren't going to tell you where you're going and how you're getting there. They're just going to tell you, well, we're going to end up in New York in two years. We're going to get there, all right? And for two years, you're going to drive around. Now, you got to trust your dad and mom. Now, the best part about this journey is that you never stop for fast food. You never have any junk food. You have the same meal for two years as you drive. All the while, your dad and mom say it's over there. Just follow me. Listen to me. It's over there. Now, think about that. That's what the Israelites were experiencing in Egypt. They're like, hey, we've just come out. Now, Moses, you've told us that you freed us from slavery. At least in Egypt, I got to eat different meals. And at least in Egypt, it was familiar. Because at this point, I'm not even sure if my dad knows where he's going or my mom knows where she's going, right? And so they're wandering in this wilderness. They're moving in the wilderness. But here's the thing. God actually places a cloud over the tabernacle. The tabernacle was the place that as they went through the wilderness was erected at each stop. And when they got to that stop, they would worship God. It, it was where, in, in essence, the ark of the Lord was placed, where they could worship. Now, 
Why did the cloud cover the tabernacle? Well, Exodus 40, verse 34 through 38 tells us, it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. Now look out on this wilderness. The Israelites are there. The tabernacle is in the distance. And a cloud descends over that tabernacle. Every day. Every day reminding you that during the day, God is with you. Every day and every night within that cloud was fire. Reminding the peoples that as dark as it was in the wilderness, God was still with them. And when the cloud moved, so did the people. Whether it was day or night, whether it was fire or clear, the cloud moved ahead. The cloud was the, the visible representation of God's presence. The visible representation of His glory. And he wanted his people to know that, guess what? You've been on this journey for two years. I'm here. I'm with you. I've not forgotten you, and I'm leading you. Now, there's four truths that come from this passage which bring us freedom. Because wilderness experiences are seldom talked about as good things. We often talk about the wilderness as like, it, it is, it's, it's, it's better than what we left, but at least what we left we knew what we had. And what we're going to, we know maybe that God has better, but it's sure taking a long time to experience better. And it can feel like we're in bondage. I can remember times in ministry going through different challenges and different places and literally being on my knees in my office, even sprawled out on my floor literally crying, God, I don't know what you're doing, and I hate it. And you've got to show yourself, because I got nothing left. And God, in each of those instances, says, that's exactly right. You got nothing left, because it's not about your glory. It's not about your way. It's not up to you to figure it out. It's up to me to do that. And so the first truth that we see is that God's glory is central to living worshipful lives. God's glory is central to living worshipful lives. It's not about Zach and what Zach wants to do. It's not about Ashley and what Ashley wants to do or what Scott wants to do or what Mike wants to do or what Josiah wants to do. It's about God's glory. God's glory first. And it's central to living a worshipful life. The cloud resided over the tabernacle. The tabernacle is an important place because he's saying, listen, it's about God's glory if we are desiring to live a life that is worshipful before the Lord. 
And so that tabernacle reminds us of the place that we come before the Lord. And we come before the Lord, we're actually saying to the Lord, guess what? It's not about me, it's about you. What are you doing? Now that's tough, isn't it? Especially when we're hurt. When the situations we're in is uncomfortable. When the situation demands from us a level of resolve that taxes us and weighs us down. But we can be reminded that this is about God's glory. See, when we actually keep our eyes on the circumstances in front of us, we lose sight that God is doing something greater for our good, for his good, so that he might be glorified, not us. And he reminds us that we're not here to be the ones that figure out his plan, but we are the ones who actually get to benefit from his glory being made known. See, God is to be glorified. And truthfully, many of us embrace this intellectually. We get it in our minds, but not in our hearts. And so in our discomfort and apathy and the feeling of distance from God, or even a sense of fairness, ever been there? And one of those experiences, I think, often take shape in our lives because we're like, this does not seem fair, God. Like, God, I've been faithful to you, and this does not seem fair, right, or just. In fact, that's often what brings us to our knees. The Israelites are like, listen, we're God's people. Now, guess what? We've come out of this land. Come on, Lord. Give us something else. I'm tired of manna. Right? I'm tired of the same food. Think about that for a minute. God actually says that his word can sustain us. That the manna actually represents, in essence, a food that was sustaining his people in the wilderness. One of the most powerful things about memorizing scripture is that sometimes God uses two or three verses simply to sustain you. And it's a good thing. But in the wilderness, it's hard. Well, the cloud is important here because If you recall in Matthew 26, verse 64, the high priest was questioning Jesus. He actually asked him if he was the Son of God. And this was Jesus' answer. He said, I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. We're then told the high priest responds by tearing his robes and calling Jesus a blasphemer. Why? Because Jesus was saying to him, in essence, Guess who was riding over the tabernacle? Guess who's present with you? Jesus, God, the God of all glory. That's who's present with you. That's an awesome thing. The high priest understood what Jesus was saying, that, hey, I'm not just a man, I am God. In fact, in Acts 2.1, we're then told that when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Verses 3 through 4 continues, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So the beauty of this is he's saying, listen, in that cloud, in that fire, guess what? Christ and his Spirit is present. We can know that just like the Israelites, even though we don't see the cloud visibly, that because of Christ's work on the cross, the Spirit resides with us. 
And we can be reminded that when we, we look out at the wilderness, when we're reminded of a temple or a tabernacle that has a cloud hovering over it, not only for those who have repented and believed on Christ, do we have a God who is present in our worship, but we have a God who dwells within us through Spirit. So, that brings the second truth to light. It says, So it was always. The cloud covered it by day and the appearance of fire by night. God is continually present with us. God is continually present with us. Just as he was present over the tabernacle in his spirit through the power of the, the resurrection, God has granted us his Holy Spirit and he is continually present with us. This is good news. I can't tell you the number of times where in my own spirit, I'm like, oh, I just give up. I got nothing, Lord. And what's brought back is, it's about you. It's about my glory, not mine, his. And I am here with you continuously. See, that's the beauty of it. Isn't it interesting that we kind of want those experiences like they had in the Old Testament? where God speaks to us audibly. We, he just speaks to us. He tells us what he wants from us. And we're like, yeah, that would be fantastic. God spoke to me today. I woke up. He said, thus saith Lord Tim, get up today and eat a big breakfast. Like, right? I mean, that's, that's what we want to hear. Now, the other question is, do we want the other part of the Old Testament, which is the wrath apart from Christ? The The... The, the wrath of God being displayed towards disobedient people who are not submitted to him? Or do we want the fact that we don't need to actually see that the cloud resides over the tabernacle, but we trust that because God is who he claimed and because God did do what he said, that his word is worthy of being trusted and therefore because it's worthy of being trusted, that I can trust that I have something better than the cloud. And it is that the Holy Spirit resides within me. First Corinthians 3.16 says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells within you? Lie that God's Spirit dwells within you if you have repented and believed on Jesus. Claire, the same is true for you, that if you have repented and believed on Jesus, God's Spirit resides in you. That's true of all who have believed on Christ. Deuteronomy 31.6 says, Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread. Whoa. That part gets forgotten, doesn't it? Be strong and courageous. I think that there are times that we can actually be strong and courageous and we're like, okay, Lord, I'll do this because I'm going to do it for you, but I am dreading this. He's actually saying that they're, they're actually, I want you to actually see that there isn't a place for you to dread right now because you're finding your rest in me. And he says, or be in dread of them for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. Man, God's with us. He will not leave you or forsake you is the way that passage has ended. Ever had a situation where you need to go talk to somebody but you don't want to have the conversation? There's dread, isn't there? Even though you know that God it might work it out for his purpose and his glory, and even though the end sometimes is far better than we ever imagined, there's just like, oh, I've got to go do this, right? Think about going to the DMV. 
Go to the DMV. There's dread. And yet, if we changed our view of what was happening and we saw that God was going with us, how does going to the DMV become an opportunity for the truth of God to be displayed? See what happens when we start dreading? We actually begin to minimize the work of God and we put it back on us. And we need to remember that he's continually present. So how do we respond to that then? How do we actually then live that out? Well, we need to actively watch for his presence and movement. I have friends that will write down, they put it on their mantle. They have cards around their house and they write down experiences where they saw God's active presence and movement throughout the week. Pretty cool. I tried that once and then I was like, ah, yeah, I'm just not that good. Um, I'm not that good in terms of remembering to write it down. But think about what would happen if we actually stopped for a moment and watched for the movement of God and we actually noted those down consistently. Here's how God moved. Here's how God protected me. Here's how God actually showed himself to be true. It says, Whenever the cloud lifted from over the tent, and after that the people of Israel set out, and in the place where the cloud settled down, there the people of Israel camped. They watched and they followed the cloud the entirety of the time. That needs to be a part of our own lives. John 16, 13 says, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears. He will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Spirit of God is giving you insight into Scripture. The Spirit of God is giving you insight into himself. So what's the third truth then? The first deals with it's God's glory is central to a worshipful life. The second is that God is continuously with you even in the moments where you don't sense or see him. And the third thing is that God's timing and plan is perfect. This is the hard one. When you're in the wilderness, all you want to do is get out of it. Think about that for a minute. All you want to do is find your way out, especially as the light begins to fade. Have you ever thought that God in his wilderness actually has a plan for you to be there? both for his glory and for your good? That's hard. That's hard to actually say that what God is doing is actually sanctifying and working and actually revealing himself more. That's the part often where what Satan actually means for harm, God actually uses for good. It says, at the command of the Lord, the people of Israel set out, and at the command of the Lord, they, they would camp. His timing, his plan is perfect. Matthew Henry says it this way. He says, it's uncomfortable staying when God has departed, but very safe and pleasant going when we see God go before us and resting where he appoints us to rest. This is repeated again and again in these verses because it was a constant miracle and often repeated and what never failed in all their travels and because it is a matter which we should take particular notice of as very significant and instructive. We need to be a people who trust that God's timing is perfect. I'm going to ask the kids to go to the back here for a second. Go up to the tree, if you would, for me. That tree straight back. It's got the fire extinguisher attached to it, which I'm not totally sure why, actually. That scares me a little bit. Um, you just noticed that. That's actually kind of cool, too. Um, 
So here's what I'm going to ask the kids to do. Simple little thing. So I want some to come to this. Don't do this yet. When I say and I give you instructions, some of you will come to the side. Some of you will come down to the, win, the, the middle. If you come down the middle, I want you to watch for the cables so that you don't hit the camera, okay? But here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Have you ever played Simon Says? All right. So you're going to play Simon Says. I'm Simon, and I say. Okay? So if Simon says go, you're going to go. If Simon says stop, you're going to stop. If Simon doesn't say anything but he says go or stop, and you move, you go to the back. Got it? Now, there is no running. That's the first rule. In fact, there is a casual sauntering with a strut. Okay? That means like, okay? That's how you got to walk it off, like with some attitude. Okay? All right. So Simon says go. Simon says stop. Go. Oh, those who move go to the back. Jump all the way to the back. All right. All right. Simon says go. Stop. All of you go back. Bryce kept going. So keep walking. Simon says stop. All right. Now stay there for a second. You don't have to stand perfectly still, but stay right there for a second. Okay? Now, so Simon says, stay there for a second. Well done. Well done. That was not planned. So here's the question. How do we submit to God's perfect timing and plan? Well, this is a picture of it. We patiently wait on his leading. We stand and we wait. We hold back even if we want something really bad. And even if we think it's in the best interest of God, if God is saying, wait, we wait. He says here, In verses 18 through 20, as long as the cloud rested over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. Even when the cloud continued over the tabernacle many days, the people of Israel kept charge of the Lord and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was a few days over the tabernacle. According to the command of the Lord, they remained in camp. Then according to the command of the Lord, they set out. We're to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. And this is what Matthew Henry says. He says, There is no time lost when we are waiting on God in his time. That's a fantastic one that we got to remember. There is no time lost when we wait on God in his time. For those of us like myself who, over, especially in my younger years, wanting to push ahead of God, but God, I've got great plans. I got great ones. You're not going to believe them. I know what I can do. And guess what we're saying when we say that we want to actually move past God's plans? We're saying that, God, my plans are better than yours. We've actually made ourselves God. That's what we've done. And so we wait. So how do we actually then rest in the fact that God's timing and plan is perfect? We wait on his leading. Now, Simon says, go. Simon says, stop. Simon says, Bryce, take five steps back. Simon says, Bryce, take 10 steps back. Everybody go. Oh, those that have gone, go to the back again. Now, what you need to know is that if somebody does make it up here, they're getting a Reese's peanut butter cup. 
And Simon says to go. And Simon says to stop. Go. Oh, flinching. Stop. Uh, Simon says go. Stop. Simon says stop. That was running. Simon says go back. Everybody freeze right there. So here's the thing. Simon says, stop. Perfect. Here's the thing. When God says go, we go. God is far more powerful than Simon. When God says stop, we stop. God is far more powerful than Simon. When God says wait, stay, don't move. God is far more powerful than Simon. Because it is about God's glory and because he is always with us, we can be patient in waiting on his timing and on his plan. All right, guys, you guys can take a seat down. Simon says, take a seat. I made it. You did. All right. So Simon says, jump back to your seats as quickly as you can. Now, what I love is that just about everybody immediately went. Not entirely everybody yet, but almost everybody. Yeah, jump, it's all right. So here's the thing. The second part of trusting in God's plan and timing, the first is that we patiently wait. The second is that we immediately go when God calls us to go. There's no delay. If you recall, the Israelites were told to go through the land to get to Canaan, the land of the giants, and they delayed. Once they actually figured out that their fear had caused them to delay, they decided that they were going to go ahead and try to do what was right in that moment. And at that point, that was no longer the will of God. And they were slaughtered. We need to be comfortable with the unknown and be willing to be uncomfortable to experience God's movement. Because it's when we're uncomfortable that God does his greatest work in our lives. And it's when we're uncomfortable that we stop resting and trusting in ourselves, but trust in him. So finally, the fourth truth about God. The first is that it is God's glory that is central to a worshipful life. The second is that God and his spirit are with us constantly, continuously. The third is that God's timing and plan is perfect. And finally, God has revealed his will in his commands. Sometimes we look and we go, I don't know what God's will is for my life. And we're in the wilderness and we're like, I'm not sure how to deal with this situation. I don't even know how to handle myself in the wilderness. God, I don't know what you're doing. And frankly, I'm kind of frustrated by not knowing what you're doing. And I don't even know what to do. And I'll be honest with you guys. That's a phrase that, that comes out of my mouth when I'm in that wilderness experience of, God, I don't even know what to do. And the Lord looks and goes, I've given you the entirety of my word. You may not know 
what I'm doing or what I, where I'm headed with you. But what I do know and what you do know is that my will can be found in your word. And so continue to pursue me and follow my word. Continue to pursue me and follow my word. Plain and simple. Continue to submit to my lordship while trusting my word. That's what he wants. So we're to submit to his lordship while trusting in his word. God's revealed his will in his commands. And as a result of that, we submit to his lordship while trusting what his word says. I may not know where I'm going, but I can know that God wants me to live righteously in his strength. I may not know where I'm going or even how to get out of the wilderness, but I can know that as I love him with all my heart, soul, and mind, and I love others as myself, that God is being glorified. So we submit to his lordship while trusting in his word. We need to trust God's word as relevant for today and allow his word to teach and convict us. Romans 8, 14 says, listen to this, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You don't have to guess. You don't have to worry. But those who are submitting themselves to the Lord, you are a son of His. Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27 says, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And then listen, and I will put my heart within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Because his spirit is with you, he is causing you to walk with him. Now, we've been going through John 8 over the last couple days. And I want us to remember this one key part as it ties together with what we're talking about tonight. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. My hope tonight is that you embrace the truth of who God is. That in the wilderness, God is fully sufficient and he has actually given you the direction to follow when you're there. That he and his glory is central, central to a worshipful life. That he is with you continuously for all who have repented and believed on Christ for salvation. That his timing and his plan are perfect even when it doesn't seem like it. And even when I don't like it. And finally, that he has revealed his will in his commands that his word is to be trusted. And this is what he says in verse 38. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. It's through the son. And as followers of Christ, we are his children. And as vast as the wilderness experience may look like, we have a father who will never stop pursuing us in the wilderness because he is with us and standing right next to us. Each of us have a spirit. Each of us are the soul, but it is Christ living in us 
It is his work. And he has redeemed our souls for his good, for his glory. And as a result of his good and his glory, we experience the blessing of his good and his glory. And may we be a people in the wilderness who trust not in what we see and feel, but trust in the truth of his promised word to us. And may we walk in freedom even when we feel fearful, even when we're discouraged, when we're frustrated, or even when we are experiencing tremendous joy. May we not waver in knowing that God's truth is what actually gives us freedom in the wilderness, not removal of our experience. Let's pray. Lord God, as we just learned tonight, you are a God who leads and directs. And may our obedience be immediate. And may it be one where we wait patiently with you. God, may our submission be to you in all things, even when it's uncomfortable. And God, may we be refreshed knowing that just as you were a, were giving a visible representation of your glory and presence and the cloud and the fire over the tabernacle, you today have granted us your spirit who is with us always. Lord, may we be a people who glorify you in the wilderness because we live as free people not as enslaved people with the joy that only Christ can pursue or the only produce and that we in ourselves can only pursue as we pursue you. So may be your glory be the, the, the very essence of our wilderness experience and may we trust that you will guide us through the wilderness and into the beauty and the freedom of your promised blessing and restoration. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.